All right, guys. My name is Luke, Hanson's Coaching Services. You guys know who I am. Um, what I want to talk about today is uh, I tried to do a Facebook Live video, but it didn't work out. But So I'm just going to record the audio, and this will be good. Uh, I actually have what I've written uh, today. I'll put as a blog post with links and everything, too, for you. So um, that will help out a ton. Uh, so we'll just skip the video today. Um, so I want to talk about some observations I've made from... Um, this year's uh, people run transfer the summer and then uh, into the fall for their fall marathons of uh, 2016. So um, I'll pretty much just read this transcript for you and uh, and then we'll open it up for discussion on uh, uh, Facebook and everything when we post it on there. So uh, just to just to give you an idea what I was going through uh, and thinking about uh, writing this. So uh, this year I have taken a, a much bigger effort to connect with the, uh, the thousands of people that have used Hanson's Marathon Method. Uh, over the last few years, uh, not because I was unsure of it, that it would work, uh, but rather to make sure that I was doing a good, job, a good job of communicating the main idea of the philosophy, and that's cumulative fatigue. So, you know, to put in perspective, you know, I coach uh, a number of athletes individually every year, um, but having the Facebook groups and you know being more active on on some stuff, I've really seen how literally how thousands of people um, use the program to train, and so I've definitely made some observations, uh, for better or worse, um, on, get, on, on seeing that, uh, how people are using it. So um, some of it is I think people buy the book and just follow the program without really reading, um, reading the book and then ask a lot of questions and wonder why things are going bad. Some of it I think is that I didn't do a great job of explaining, and some of it is I'm, I'm learning how to um, communicate some things better too. So... Um, but this, this is a small group, and there's not much more I can personally do if they don't want to explore um, why we do what we do. So if you, literally, if you buy the book and just look at the pictures, then you're not going to get everything out of it that you need to. Um, and I, I, and I know that's a small group, but a lot of times those, those groups are the most vocal too. Um, and then there's the group that will do everything by the book and, and see success. Then there's the group that I need to do a better job of, of the coaching aspect. And with that, my aim is to pull... All the, th all the things out of cumulative fatigue that I can and, and explain better to you. Uh, so with that, you know, what is cumulative fatigue? And our goal with marathon training and half marathon training is to build a certain amount of cumulative, cumulative fatigue that develops the strength and preparedness for the marathon or even the half marathon distance for that matter. Um, and what exactly is the definition of cumulative fatigue? We talk about this in some of our other presentations that I've linked to. Um, here's my version of the idea. When fatigue is coming from the culmination of training and not one specific aspect. So it's everything that you've done, the long run, the tempo, the speed, the easy days, all of those things piling on, not piling on is a bad word, but adding up over time, making you feel tired, um, but at the same time much, much stronger. Um, the end result is that the runner becomes very strong, very fit, and able to withstand the physical and mental demands of the marathon distance. And really, going back to that, any any race that's you know hour and a half two hours plus uh, along and so with that how do we achieve this end result and for me it's basically four components of cumulative fatigue and I talk about them as pillars in in uh, other discussions and uh, those are balance moderate to high mileage consistency and active recovery so I will not rehash those I link to the a further discussion into that so I'll save you that uh, for now um, but I think 
one one thing I want to take out of that, though, that is not in those other discussions, is that um, for all these to work, it's got to be part of the whole system. You know, whether you use Hale Higdon or Jeff Galloway or, you know, three-day programs, whatever the case is, they work because they're part of a system, right? So if you mix and match pieces out of, you know, three different systems and and expect to have, and they call it, you know, like say you use use the Hanson's Marathon method, but you incorporate things like um, Hal Higdon and, and, and uh, you know, Jeff Galloway, for example, and you say, well, those are, I'm still using the Hanson system. Well, no, and now you're not really using the Hanson system. You're using parts of three different systems. And, you know, in reality, it may or may not work, but you can't blame the Hanson system if you if you did bits and pieces of it. it you know, it's the same thing with Hal Higdon. Hal Higdon works because he's got a system, you know, and it's it's those culminative pieces of those of the puzzle that works works for him and works for for certain people that use it. And same thing with us. The whole thing works because it's one system and it's all those components making up the system. Um, from there, I think, you know, if you don't, if you pull one piece out of our system, you definitely increase the chance for it not working. And so with that, I have a couple of examples here. A common scenario I see in our Facebook groups. A person starts a program but doesn't completely buy into the program. And seemingly, it always has something to do with the 16-mile long run. Um, and that's my, insert my shocked voice. I feel like one of two things happen. The most popular is that the person doesn't really think that 16 miles is long enough to make their long and they make their long runs a typical 20 plus miles in a 40 to 50 mile week um, and they'll attempt to do them over and over and over again however in order to have enough energy to get the rest of the weekend other things suffer so skip the workout here a shortened tempo run there before long the original t- training plan is a shadow of its former self and but the runner still feels like they are following the method um, but they just put their personal touch on and that's what goes back to what i just talked about it's not really our system anymore at that point um, the second is the runner believes too much in the 16-mile long run, and they develop a belief that the program is centered around the long run, and they even feel like they can skimp on the rest of the training because a 16-mile long run is all that they need. Now, granted, that's definitely a minority part of group. Like, majority of people in those situations are the first scenario we talked about, and, but there are people in that second group that, that go through that. And, and the same thing. It's, at that point, it's, not, it's no longer our system. You know, our system works because you're doing the 16-mile long run timed with doing tempo runs that are very long and you're, you're, you're fatigued going into that long run. If you're fresh going into that 16 mile long run, that's that 16 mile long run isn't simply enough. It, it takes all pieces to make that 16 mile long run to work. And that's the bottom line of this. And so in the notes and in, in the, in the post I have, um, that I'll make a blog post of, I have a link to a, a full discussion into cumulative fatigue. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is the difference between cumulative fatigue and just plain old overtraining. Um, and this is the idea where, where I think most of us need help fully understanding, and I need to do a better job of teaching. And what I will admit is that there's a very thin line between the two technical stages of training we we're discussing, and that's functional overreaching and non-functional overreaching. So um, overtraining causes and prevention, and so in general, it's a sum of all stresses. So people will be quick to blame just that the training is the problem when it's really the sum of training, family and friends, teammates if you have them, pressure of competition if that's an issue, financial things, etc. All these things inside and outside of your regular life and in your training life. 
on top of that, you need to balance things. You need to balance the recovery, right? Recovery time. So time between workouts or time between intervals or any whatever the case is. Sleep. Are you getting enough sleep? How is your diet? Are you doing anything else for recovery? Are you stretching? Are you foam rolling? Are you taking supplements? Are you... Um, getting a massage, all of these things that, that aid in recovery, are you doing what you can? And then things outside of like relationship counseling, etc. So to prevent overtraining, it's important to recognize that all these stresses exist and it's not simply the training itself. It's got to, it's all these other things too. And so what we want to do is we want to get into a state of functional overreaching, which is on the spectrum of things, you have general fatigue, which is recovery is rapid. That's, you know, one to two days you recover from a workout, right? Functional overtraining is that takes longer, up to two weeks, which would be your taper, but is all part of a plan program to improve performance over a long-term period. And then non-functional is where we don't want to be in, and that's where recovery takes even longer, weeks, maybe even months. The negatives outweigh the positives and there is no big long-term gain. And then lastly, you have overtraining syndrome, which takes a very, very long time, many, many months to re actually recover from. Um, I would say most people get into non-functional overreaching and then take some time off and then they're, and they're good to go. Overtraining is something much more serious and it, it, it's a little more rare. We, we, we throw terminology around a lot, but I, I feel, by definition, uh, a lot of people don't actually get into overtraining syndrome. They're kind of in between that non-functional and overtraining syndrome. And sometimes they're in their, they're in the functional overreaching, but they're not really sure what that feels like. So they, they react like it is non-functional overreaching. So hopefully that makes, makes sense there. Um, so our, our goal is to be into functional overreaching. Um, and we'll talk about that more later. Common symptoms. Here are common symptoms of overreaching in general and into overtraining. Um, fatigue, chronic muscle soreness, early onset of fatigue, decreased aerobic capacity, inability to complete workouts, delayed recovery, decreased muscular strength. Physiologically, we're talking about increased resting heart rate, increased sleeping heart rate, changes in heart rate variability, heart palpitations, increased submaximal heart rate. Um, immune function, frequent upper, frequent upper respiratory tract infections, frequent colds, long recovery periods for those, for those things. Mood, you might have a mood disturbance, irritability, uh, loss of motivation, loss of enthusiasm, loss of competitive drive, even some depression. Blood, lower testosterone levels, higher cortisol levels, which is stress hormones, lower maximal lactate uh, levels, lower submaximal lactate levels, chronically high creatine kinase, which is a marker of uh, muscular damage. But unfortunately, I think you can get from that is blood work. So I guess if you are feeling fatigued and, you're, and it's dragging on and on, getting blood work, it'd be key. Sleep-wise, you can be insomnia, disturbed, uh, insomnia or disturbed sleep, gastrointestinal, excessive weight loss, loss of appetite, absence of menstruation, constipation, or diarrhea. Those are all symptoms now and those can, those can occur in any combination of, of things. People feel things differently. Now, here's the kicker. The difference between being an over, functional overreaching and non-functional overreaching is that decreased performance. If you don't have a decrease in performance, you're not overreaching or overtraining. That's, that's the kicker. That's if your performance is still going. So let's say, you, yeah, you feel like junk for a mile or so but then you warm up and you're ready to go and you're, and you're hitting the same pace as you were before. 
you're not you're not in a state of um, overtraining or over non-functional overreaching, and that's the kicker, and that's where most of you get hung up on things. So, to some extent, these things I all I mentioned, especially with the fatigue um, and the mood, I think we all experience those in marathon training to begin with, um, and there's ways about other things like recovery and things like that. But the thing is how you do things outside of the actual training is going to be just as much of an influence as what you are actually doing for training. So that's a big thing to keep in mind. And so that kind of led me into some of the observations that I met, that I made, and I'll talk about that. Um, so the difference between the two, if you're functional overreaching, you'll feel tired, but your performance and workouts won't suffer. When you feel like start feeling like crap and your performances are getting worse, then you have likely crossed that line into functional overreaching. Now, there's always a caveat to these things. Let's say that you're running too fast to begin with and through training hard. And though training hard, you've slowed down to what you're supposed to be training. So let's say you started out with lower mileage. You are hammering on your easy runs. All your workouts were too fast. Now your mileage is much higher. Let's say you're in the 50s. You went from being 30 miles a week. Now you're in the 50s for, for weekly mileage. And you know, uh, you've slowed down, but you actually slowed down to what you're supposed to be doing. That's that's a whole nother story. Now I would say that's more like a market correction, right? The market's corrected for overselling or overbuying uh, on on things, and that's all you've done is you've you've basically made a correction in your training and your where you're supposed to be. Where you'll fall into trouble is if you continue to try to hit the paces that were too fast, and then you get upset because now you're saying, "Well, I'm not as fit as I was. I'm something's wrong," even though now you're actually running what you're supposed to be. What I say is rather settle into those proper paces and let your fitness and body come back around. If You'll still feel tired, but as long as performance is stable, you're okay. And that's, that's a huge mental thing you have to get past is you're in the right paces even though you've slowed down uh, in, that, in that instance. The other thing too is you'll see it's been hot and people will try to hit the same paces when it's hot and, and all that. And we'll talk about that a little bit too. So, so how do I reach cumulative fatigue without going too far? And this is really what we want to get into. Um, this is the, really the new material. This is, here's a, there's a number of things you should do. One, before, you, before we even go into be, begin training, during the early stages of a training plan, and that will help immensely with our goal of cumulative fatigue without getting into overtraining. And from there, we can discuss the things that you need to do during training that will help safeguard us while in the hardest sections of training. So before we even start, at least have a discussion about what your goal should be. And many folks, many of the folks using the plan for the first time are people who have at least raced before. And so choosing a goal for you is probably going to be easier than others. For those people who have no clue where they should start, they should consult somebody, at least somebody they respect, a runner they respect, a coach, get a coach, something to that extent. Um, somebody who they know is not going to give them a BS answer. Say, oh, yeah, you can break three hours your first time out, when in reality maybe you should be trying for four hours. Um, you need to find somebody who you can consult in. If you recall a discussion we had about Strava data, we, had, we said something that 60 to 70% of people are running for a four- to five-hour marathon, and they're training about 30 miles a week. So an hour of difference is a big gap, but at least gives you a starting point to evaluate yourself. Are you going to be in that group? Are you going to be able to run, say, I'm only going to be able to run 30 miles a week, maybe 40 miles a week, and I'm brand new. What do I do? You know, How do I handle that? A brand new running who is building from scratch probably be looking more at the four-and-a-half to five-hour range, where a newer runner with a little bit of running beneath, run a few 5Ks, 10Ks, you 
and have some resemblance of training underneath your belt, you might be looking more at the four to four and a half hour range. The point is most of you just starting out are going to be in that four to five hour range. The more competitive you get under four hours, you're going to be looking at, and that's going to be dependent on, but that depends on looking at those outside factors. You know, do you know vacations coming up, other gatherings, big business trips, baby on the way. You know, I don't think I slept. My, my wife and I didn't get more than a couple hours a night of sleep for the first six months of Josephine's life. I, I it just, she had colic. It was, it was brutal. We were zombies. We were miserable. And, and it, there was no training that was of any quality going on in that first six months. But preparing for these things and knowing in advance will not only help you make a more reasonable training goal, but will also allow you to absorb the unexpected a little better. Because we are going to have unexpected things come up in training. And I don't ever expect a training segment to go 100% perfect. And honestly, when it does go 100% percent perfect it actually makes me worry a little bit more because what that means is usually the race is going to have something go wrong you need i actually feel better when something goes a little wrong during training and we bounce back from it uh it makes me feel a lot better going into a race a lot of times when nothing goes wrong i worry about the race something going wrong so um What I want to talk about now is early early in training. So I made a post about this. Uh, it's on YouTube. Um, I have a link here, Avoiding the Early Pitfalls of Marathon Training. So I won't go deep into that. You definitely should, should watch that uh, and listen to that video. Um, a few keys to take away, though, and this is the big one. Let your fitness build. Don't try to force the issue. I see this all the time where people think that fast is good, faster is better. No. Running the right pace is what what we're trying to accomplish is better. For instance, if your goal is 345 and it's already an attempt to be at a big PR, then why make it harder on yourself and run 10 seconds faster a mile or 15 seconds faster a mile? You're making it so much harder on yourself and it's not doing, it's not really providing you any benefit. You're only setting yourself up by digging a big hole that you can't get out of. And if you start doing that early, it's only going to compound itself where that you're in cumulative fatigue by four weeks into the training segment, and I want you in cumulative fatigue at you know ten to twelve weeks of a segment, um, and so you really setting yourself up for completely blowing through that line of cumulative fatigue and going straight into overtraining and non-functional overreaching. So faster is not better, and that's why we try to explain why we're doing what we're doing. And so if you haven't read the book, read the book. We go into that. It covers everything why we're doing what we're doing. Second, don't rely on running alone. This is one of the. This one has always been a problem for me personally. As much as we feel strapped for time, we need to carve out a little bit of time if we truly, truly want to prepare. I'm talking about things like flexibility, dynamic warm-ups, core training, general strength. And I know, I know, I know. I hear for you, and I have fought it forever too. But give yourself 15 minutes a day to to do one thing. Um, you know, that's you know whether it's a dynamic warm-up before you head out the door a light core session while you're watching TV at night, you can find the ways to do it. Um, Yes, it takes a little planning, but it will make you much, much more uh, a complete runner and an injury-resistant runner and be able to train harder um, without injury. So I will say this, and this isn't in my notes right now, but uh, what I would say is that, you know, the faster you are, the more important that is. So if you're a very first-time runner, and really, truly training is taking that much out of you. Yes, I would like you to do all those supplemental things. But um, my first goal is to get you to run the mileage. It's going to help you get through the finish line. And then maybe we focus on some of the other stuff. But 
the faster you get, you know, you start at a, as a five hour runner, you can probably just run, you'll be fine. But then if you want to get to a four hour marathoner, you, you start having to add more things you want to go to a, a three thirty marathoner, you're going to have to add more things. And so, and this is what I noticed too with some of my, my folks is they automatically assumed I was going to say add more mileage. And it's not the case. I think if you, you maximize the mileage you're at first, you know, like, so somebody on Facebook posted an answer like, well, what program should I use? I'm, I'm running, I want to break three hours and I've run 301. Um, that, it depends. Like I've got people who are, I, I've got people who are running three hours on 60 miles a week and I've got people who are running three hours a week, three hours, a uh, hundred miles a week. So, you know, it truly depends. And that's, so I say you maximize where you can get out of the mileage you're at by adding these other things. And then you come back and add more mileage and see where you're at. Number three, sleep and proper nutrition are your best friends during a heavy training cycle. This is your, this is for your life as well. This should be non-negotiable. So this is just for having a healthier life. Um, so there's really not much more to say on that. Adjust for the environment. And this is a big one. This happened a lot this summer. It was just a weird summer where it was hot and humid. Like here in Michigan, we were having our typical August weather in June, and it made it miserable. And people struggled with training, and they they tried to hit paces that they were trying that they were aiming for in October, and they're trying to do it in July and August when it was 85 degrees, dew points were in the 60s. They just couldn't hit those workouts. Um, so you have to recognize that, and, and a lot of times I would say just go by effort, and you have to trust that you're there. Um, you know, so people got a little too caught up in paces too, given the environment that they were training in. So you have to adjust for that. You can't, you can't, you know, you can't expect October performances in June weather. You know what I mean? So, um, and you know, like some people I train in South Florida, like we, we basically scrapped the summer and said, you know what, we're just going to train for the January. We're going to train for a January marathon so that we can start training in October, November. You know, so when they had actually some decent weather. So some of that takes some planning too. So if you can do these things, you'll set yourself up to not only be able to tolerate training, but also maximize your training adaptations during the last six to eight weeks of the marathon segment when it really counts. That being said, that's where I want you in the cumulative fatigue. So building that fitness slowly. Don't hammer everything early on. Yeah, of course everybody can hammer a 400 workout. You know, a lot of times the speed workout's no problem for people, and they go way too fast on it. You know, that that's what gets them into trouble later on during that last six weeks to two months of training where I really want you in a cumulative fatigue zone and not any longer that. If you stretch that out to 10 weeks, 12 weeks, 14 weeks, then you're, you're just setting yourself up to get into that line of going past that line of uh, functional overreaching. And that's when... And that's what, I, that's what we'll talk about in the next section. So what do I do if I take it too far? And so let's say we stretch that out for too long and we're really in the danger zone of being in the overtraining zone, not the functional overreaching zone. The end result of what I would say, what I saw many folks doing was taking cumulative fatigue into non-functional overreaching by the time they got into the strength segment of the marathon plan. So you're doing the strength workouts, you're doing the 8 to 10 mile tempo runs, and your long runs are the longest and You'd really kind of burnt yourself out before you even got to that point. So how do we how do we do? What do we do if we take it too far? One, immediately start start doing the things we just talked about. Consider also consider vitamins and supplements. So uh, sleep, proper nutrition, adjust for the environment. Do those things immediately. 
Um, maybe get blood work done. They'll be able to tell you what vitamin supplements you need, might you might be able to take. Um, spread the number two. Spread the workouts further apart. Modify. I have a link to modifying a scheduled talk talk that we have. Um, maybe do something like a Tuesday workout, a Friday workout, which gives you Wednesday and Thursday to recover. And then if you have a Sunday long run that week, just take that easy and get the mileage in. Second thing we've done and we've talked about before is a Wednesday Sunday with an alternating weekend. So basically do a workout on Wednesday, which I would just say do the strength workout on Wednesday. And then on Sunday, you either have a long run. And if you notice with our schedules, you basically have a long run one week. The second week is a shorter run. You can do that as a tempo run. You can So it might look something like Wednesday workout, Sunday long run. Next week, Wednesday workout, Sunday tempo run. And just alternate that schedule for the last six to eight weeks. And that will, of course, yes, you're going to miss some workouts, but you're also going to pull your, you're going to also set yourself up to pull yourself out of the depths of being in that overtraining. Are you within a month of the race? Honestly, this is where people talk about, oh, I'm so tired going into the training, you know, the taper. I need more than 10 days. But if you followed the schedule appropriately and you didn't go overboard, some of that's not your fault. Some of that is your fault. Um, if you were a person who pushed paces, you, you know, you, you, you didn't take your easy runs easy, those types of things, then you really, you, you really set yourself up for not having the taper work for 10 days. Um, the problem is when you, a 10 day taper is assuming that you've done the things that we've asked and, and that the training wasn't too much for you. And so for some people, the training itself was just too much for you. And so, yeah, you'll probably need a longer taper, but that's why, you know, I would say, you know, working with a coach and working with uh, somebody you respect is is important, especially if it's your first marathon and you're not really sure what you're doing. Um, that's, you know, it's worth that investment uh, to me because you're putting a lot, you're putting a lot of time, effort and money already into the marathon. Um, and, and so, yeah, paying a coach is like paying a personal trainer, but you're also getting what you pay for on that too. And if, if spending a little money on a coach or a trainer or a, a good schedule um, costs you a few bucks, it might actually save you, a, one, a very poor experience, and two, feeling like you wasted a lot of money and time and investment on training for a marathon that didn't go very well. So with that, with that aside, um, if you're within a month of the race, start the taper now. If you're fried performance has gone by the wayside, nothing's easy, you're feeling sick, you're feeling run down, performance sucks, you know, everything's just going bad, start to taper now. So we still have, if we have three or four weeks, we still might be able to pull you back. Um, So reduce both the volume and the intensity, that's the easiest way to do it. So scale back to what we talked about with um, modifying the schedule, do two workouts a week, don't do three workouts a week. Focus on the lower intensity SOS, so focus on tempo runs and long runs, if it's really bad, and then don't. But you, on the the last thing here is don't scale so much that you you lose fitness. So if you scale back, you know, take forty percent of what you're doing away, that's probably okay. If you scale back sixty percent, you're probably going to be at the point where you're losing fitness that last month. Now I will say this: that maybe that's enough to get you to the starting line and at least have a, a decent experience. Um, but you just have to recognize that your goal your goal is probably going to have to change at that point. So that's what I would do. Um, end goal of all this is is twofold. Is one, the first to teach you how to train, regardless of the system you use. That's what we want to do. We want to take you from 
maybe not knowing anything about the marathon, maybe even very little about running itself, and turn you into a runner. You know, I'm not interested in boutique-style running. I want to teach you how to be a runner. I want to teach you how to train and how to do things the best possible way that you can. And that's regardless of whether you use our system or somebody else's system. I think our principles on some things definitely interchange with um, other people, and it definitely interchanges with doing things what I would consider, you know, quote unquote, the right way. Um, the second is that is what you are immediately concerned with, and that's getting you to the starting line healthy. And for all the things I just talked about with investment of time and money and effort, and and just really having a good experience with the marathon, especially if it's your first time. Um, I realize things rarely go perfectly as planned, and if you do find yourself in a situation. I think it's better if we cut our losses, we minimize the damage, we might even pull you back a little bit given enough time, and get to the starting line in one piece. This will allow, this will at least allow you to run your race, and you still might even just surprise yourself. Like we had a, we had a gentleman, uh, Yusuke, who's from Japan. Father passed away, unfortunately. He had to go back to Japan, was there for, for several weeks, wasn't really able to run and just got in what he could and went to the starting line and actually ran great. He ran under three hours and he was so worried going, we talked to, we, he was, had a question in one of our other talks and it was about this and, and uh, he ran great. He emailed us after the race and he's like, I ran great and it worked great and, you know, I just stopped worrying about stuff and it all fell into place. So, you know, you do what you can, you, you cut your losses, you scale back um, and you, it doesn't mean you have to throw in the towel with, overtraining so uh, but those that's i saw that a lot this this summer and fall and, it, and for some people they surprise themselves and we had talks early on and they said okay just go by effort uh on tempo runs and, and just scale back don't worry so much about pace right now when it's hot and humid and and they got to october and it was better weather for for most people those who were in detroit it was not and uh um but they ended up with um, some pretty good performances. So that's just my thought on that. I think, you know, uh, there's stuff to take away from that. But hopefully you learn. I mean, sometimes those lessons you just learn by going through them and just having me reiterate it here maybe helps. Um, hopefully it does. And so when you go into your next segment, okay, I want a big thing I want you to take away from this though is I want you to build slowly. I don't want you to be in cumulative fatigue by eight weeks into a segment. I want you to be in cumulative fatigue by like 12 weeks into a segment. So that last six to eight weeks is really where you're in that cumulative fatigue is then it allows the taper to do its thing. You don't scale back so much that you lose fitness. You follow the taper and you maximize performance. You gain that two to 3% performance increase from a good taper and you are stronger than ever and you're ready to roll in the marathon. So um, with that, all I can do is say, hey, thanks for listening. Um, if you're looking for modified schedules, we have them. Um, you can look at Final Surge, finalsurge.com. Um, just look under athletes and coaching plans. You can find us there. We have nine-day cycle plans, and I'm working on two, two workout-a-week plans now as well. Um, but then we have, we have 40 different plans up there right now, so a lot more than what's in the book um, for anybody to take a look at. So I encourage you to do that if that's something that uh, you need help with. Um, if you're on Facebook, join the Facebook group, Hanson's Coaching uh, Community. It's a closed community group. Just ask for a sign-in, and um, I approve pretty much everybody. Um, so with that, good luck. 
Hopefully your recovery is going well and on to the next. All right. Bye-bye.